Welcome to the No Nonsense Agile Podcast. I'm Shane Gibson. I'm Murray Robinson. And I'm Sam McAfee. Welcome to the podcast. Sam, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background and how you got to this point? Sure. So I have been involved in software and digital product development for a little more than 20 years. I went to school for social sciences and had a bunch of friends who were engineers and they all pushed and cajoled me to get a tech job in the dot-com boom so that I could pay rent. So I did a bunch of web development in the Silicon Valley area, managed to survive the crash. And I had another decade or so of my own small boutique web development agency, which was a, a wild ride. I got exposed through my buddies to Agile pretty early on. Those folks were already hip to extreme programming and some other things that were going on. So this is maybe 03, 04. So I got into Agile stuff pretty early on. I've never looked back. It's always just been the way that I've worked. I was at the time learning how to be a good software engineer. So learning design patterns and TDD and all that good stuff. And then later more into the process, more into how does one get a team together? How does one get the team organized? We use team charters and things like that for getting our teams kicked off for these client projects. I dove pretty heavily into Deming and Toyota and a lot of that old school stuff, which I found really compelling and got really excited about. The agency that we were building did pretty well for about 10 years, survived the Great Recession. It gradually got dragged down and I had a few adventures as a senior technology leader of one sort or another in a couple different organizations. Director of engineering here, founding or co-founding technical person in a small startup there, lots of different experiences like that. At that time, I was pretty deep into the lean startup movement as well, going to a lot of those conferences and events and, and talking to people that were doing work there. For a long time, I've been involved in really bridging the gap between the lessons of agile and the lessons of customer development and figuring out what does the customer actually want and really trying to integrate those two ways of thinking. That's been a passion of mine for some time. The last five years or so, I have been working on my own coaching and consulting business called Startup Patterns. And we've been focused on helping companies with product development. So going in and coaching teams and getting the engineering product and design functions, working in a more integrated, balanced team capacity. And that has overlapped a lot with an interest in leadership and organization design and organization health as well. So the surrounding tissue of an engineering team that's practicing agile and what happens when they run up against other aspects of the company that might be operating in a very different way. So how do you solve some of those conflicts? So that's pretty much me in a nutshell. Yeah. So what makes a good product development team? My favorite qualities would be cross-functional. So like a team that's balanced with all the, the necessary specialties that you need, dedicated that they're working all together all day long on a thing and not spread across a number of different concerns. And before the pandemic, I would have said co-located, but we've had to really adapt a lot. It's all about one team for me. How do we get one cross-functional product-focused team 
Yeah, absolutely. In a lot of places you go where they're just getting into agile, people being part-time on different projects is one of the biggest hurdles to getting moving in the right direction. And so I think that dedicated team, at least in big enterprises, is a drum I find myself beating the whole time when I'm working with them. It's a hard one to overcome. Yeah. What in your experience is the state of agile product teams in the corporate world? Oh boy. I wish I had nicer things to say and start off on a dark note. I think that while it's true that the word agile has spread into mainstream corporate language, I think we're a long way from significant adoption of anything that really looks like agile. There's a lot of agile programs and there's a lot of people saying that they're doing it, but most of that, that I've seen is lacking in the real principles that agile started with the human stuff. Some of it's the technical stuff as well, but really just people working together on a team to try to produce value uh, for a customer and working in small pieces and being flexible on the plan. It's really ultimately what it is. Are these companies that are doing Agile really doing that? I would say mostly no. I think we've come a long way, but we still have a very long way. There's the old saying about doing Agile versus being Agile. When you look at a, a team or an organization, do, do you think part of it is there are companies whose sole focus is building products? That's what they do. And then there are companies that just happen to try and build products to support the thing they're really about. Is that where it's at? Is that the companies that do nothing but build products really invest in it because that's what they do. Whereas all the others, it's just a side factor. It's like a finance function, something they have to do maybe, but it's not their core business. Does that affect the way the organization behaves in terms of that product development? Yeah, I think it does. I think that there are a couple of ways to look at the phenomenon that you're describing. It, it can be a product focus that can definitely be true i think the internet native companies that are digital at their core behave really different internally and externally than companies that have been around for a hundred years folks who came up after the 90s they just tend to be built and organized in a different way than some of the older companies i find that corporations the leadership team talks about innovation a lot but if you have an innovative idea, you get stomped on immediately. So if we wanted you to have a good idea, we would have told you what it was on the way in the door. That's the way big corporations work. But at the same time, they're constantly talking about innovation. I find that there's a lot of theater in corporations. There's agile theater and innovation theater and it's all just words. What is a hackathon, but just some sort of performance it doesn't usually achieve anything. What's going wrong in the leadership of these companies that there's all this talk about agile and innovation and products and customers, and yet they seem to behave the opposite. Yeah. I think it has a lot to do with the mentality of the leadership of these organizations and whether their mindsets are in an old school industrial model. Frederick Winslow Taylor command and control, the factory model. It was successful for a long time. People got some benefits from it. And even as manufacturing moved away from it from mid last century through to the eighties or nineties, moving to a lean model, 
it's that factory model thinking was still hanging around in the management and in the corporate culture. And so a lot of leaders, they don't know any better. They've just come up in that world. They learned how to manage from their previous manager. So there's a lot of cultural baggage in some of those older organizations. Plus the structure in those organizations is set up around functional silos where where one specialty group does something and hands it to the next, which is the same as an assembly line. Yeah. And I think there's a mindset in a command and control culture that is really hard to get rid of. When we were talking earlier about what makes a good product development team, one thing I forgot to mention is autonomy. The idea of the self-organized team requires leaders to relinquish uh, a lot of their control that they would traditionally be used to moving away from being directive and prescriptive and more enabling and empowering their teams to operate and be nimble. And so that requirement of leadership that if they really want to do innovation, if they really want to be innovative, it requires them to empower their teams to be creative and flexible, give them a clear goal and give them resources to get to that goal and some constraints to adhere to, but more or less get out of the way, let them be creative and let them work together and try to solve the problem, try to bring business value to the market, check in periodically and maybe ask for support when they need it. But leaders have a really hard time at a psychological level, relinquishing that control. There's something about the fear of giving your folks more responsibility when it's your head on the chopping block, if it goes horribly awry. So it's not like an inconsequential fear, but still, I think it takes a lot of mental shifting for leaders to start thinking at the executive level, what agile really means and what it really requires in terms of changes in the way that you organize your people and the way that you give them assignments and all that sort of thing. We talk about leading from the top. And often we use lip service for that, but actually what a leader at the top needs to do is change their behavior, make that change of behavior visible. So everybody else knows that it's the way we should behave. Managers have control problems. Leaders set the goals and let the team going. I think for somebody to go from a controlling managerial style of behavior to a leadership style, it takes relearning. We have to unlearn and, and learn the new behavior. Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. When I first became a project manager. I was told that I was responsible for the outcomes and I had to make things happen at certain time periods, which was very stressful. And so I tried to make people do things because that's what I heard. And I got a lot of conflict and pushback and I had to learn how to be much more supportive and much more of a servant leader, how to let go. Yeah. I do a lot of coaching of technology leaders who are straddling that boundary between the engineering team and the management structure of the rest of the organization. A lot of what we do is talk about building influence and managing up and letting go of this idea that you can make people do things by coercion, but rather how do you use psychology and communication styles and tools to try to build understanding or to use empathy to build understanding with the people that you're talking to, even if you're doing it up. So like talking to a senior executive, a lot of people don't really know how to do it. They fail to understand that executives, they're not being asked 
questions much about where they're at and they might be happy to have you ask, how's it going? Is there anything you feel like we need to be doing to support you? Everyone assumes they have all the answers and they look so confident, but it's actually really scary up there. <laughs> it's lonely. And so building a good relationship with senior leaders involves having a little bit of, of empathy for them on some level. A lot of times those controlling behaviors come from, I don't know where we're at. I'm not getting the reports. I can't see anything. Why is it taking so long? Nobody tells me what's happening. And so now I'm going to come down there and, and tell you guys what to do. If you could preempt that by creating structures where they get the information that they need at the level of granularity that's important mm -hmm. to them. They don't need like giant reports. They just need to know here are our KPIs, anything you want us to be aware of. Otherwise, we're just going to keep cranking along. I find that technology managers and leaders generally have had little to no training in people management. So for example, they don't know how to do one-on-ones or why you would even do them, or they don't know how to give feedback. They don't know the basic techniques of people management. I would like to give a little shout out to the manager tools podcast here because they are fantastic at giving this sort of stuff very slow and steady, very helpful if you haven't had it before. When I was managing other managers, I tried to get them all to spend half an hour doing a one-on-one -on -one with their direct reports. Some people did it and it worked really well. And then others just refused and just dropped it. My experience is the state of people management and technology is, is pretty terrible. If you leave a place because of that, you're going to go somewhere else, which is going to be the same. So learning how to manage your manager is helpful. Yeah, it's critical. Companies that are new tend to start with product mentality. And so you'll see cross-functional teams, but if you walk into organizations that have been around for a while, you have an IT team and a new digital team, and they are often in two silos. The digital team becomes a product team and the IT team become a service provider. And that causes a whole raft of problems. Have you seen that? Yeah. Those are two totally different silos that have to work together. So they find a project manager to try to, try to smash it through. I've seen a lot of that. It's scary stuff. So how do we go from the siloed structure to the cross-functional product team? How do we integrate user experience design and software developers together in one team? In the traditional model, the hierarchy of a particular silo and how the reporting structure works in that silo is tightly coupled to the organizing of the work. So a manager might actually assign work to a report. In successful modern companies, the reporting structure in a particular functional silo is more about people development for that functional skill, but the work is organized according to totally different principles. You could be on a cross-functional team with some other folks working on a product and the work you're doing is determined by the backlog and the product roadmap. Managing people is about developing people. It's not status reports on the work that you're doing because we've got all these other frameworks and tools and rituals in agile over here where we already are covering that stuff. Yeah. There are people who are responsible for directing the work to be done. And then there are people who are responsible for supporting people in their careers and they are two different roles. Now, sometimes the same person does both roles, but for large organizations or large teams, where we started to scale, you have to split them out because they are two different focuses. And if you try and do both and you can't, you end up only focusing on one 
and it's typically not the supporting the people one. We had a whole podcast on matrix organizations in the Spotify model, where we talked about changing these functional managers roles into a capability building role that, that was on the side of the organization with the work being controlled by autonomous product teams to achieve a goal. Functional managers still there, but providing that mentoring, coaching, training, support, hiring salaries, and so on. Because if you're just in a scrum teams, there'd be nobody supporting you or coaching you or mentoring you and people still really need that. So why was software engineering the lead for agile ways of working and product development? I think probably because software is really a team endeavor. It's collaborative knowledge works and there are principles with groups of people having to collaborate and work together that really stand out in software. Putting code together <laughs> with different people wrote and it all has to work. A lot of times when I'm working with teams, you'll run into the engineer that believes that their job is primarily programming rather than conversation. But I'm like, hey, a lot of the important stuff happens with your mouth talking to the person next to you about the code, not the actual typing. I think when you start looking at pair programming and other kinds of methods where people are really doing a lot of collaborative work and the programming, the last 10%. Algorithms are fairly straightforward. It's working with other people that's hard. And Agile really wraps that principle in language that makes sense. So for me, I think that's probably what it is. I think software developers are a lot of really super smart problem solvers and they see themselves being blocked all the time by things going on in the organizations and they're independent thinkers. So they try and solve that problem as well. But moving on a little bit, I want to talk about product managers versus product owners. What is the difference between them? Yeah. The product owner is a scrum thing. And if you look at how Scrum is taught, the product owner's role, it's described as this interface boundary between the team and the business. It may have evolved, but I run into product owners all the time and they still behave that way. And a product manager is someone who is really thinking holistically about the business model of the product, who is the customer and what's the value and really has a more holistic understanding of how it's all supposed to fit together. Most of the time when we're making software, we're automating some kind of human process or replacing a previous automation to make money or save money or provide a service of some kind. And so I think that the concept of product management is one where it's balancing empathy with the customer or the user, understanding software development and knowing something about business modeling and how to prioritize based on value. It's a very holistic way of operating that I think is broader than the narrow focus that was traditionally defined by product ownership. So whether product owners are something that we need, I think depends on the context of the organization, what level of maturity you're in. It may be that if you have no sort of agile process and you're really just trying to get started and you want to do scrum, then just do scrum, follow the guide, do the thing for a few years, and then evolve your way past it. There's something to be said for training wheels. So if we're doing that, then let's just do it. 
and have the roles and follow the process and then use retrospectives to gradually grow your own thing. The product people also have to be engaged with each other across those functional teams and talk about how do all these products fit together. And to me, that's beyond the capabilities of what's been articulated as a product owner role. It's maybe a path on the evolutionary ladder. Eventually you'll jettison that constraint and move more towards product management. I liked what you said about a product manager being responsible for the business model and the product from end to end. I've been a proper product manager a couple of times in my career, and I think the product managers needs to be responsible for the holistic product, which includes user experience research, business case development, market research, prioritization, working with the product engineering team, developing the business processes for custom support and service, working closely with sales people and service people talking to customers regularly and bringing all that feedback back. I think of it as being a CEO for the product. It's a strategic integrating role that sets direction and priorities and provides a lot of communication, linking everybody together. That's the way I see it. Do you see it like that too? Yeah, that's a pretty good way to describe it. I think that it's really a balance of a lot of different skills. Got to look at metrics and analytics dashboards and have a little bit of statistics knowledge. Can you do a PNL from the product? What's our revenue supposed to look like? How much is the team costing? There's small business economics involved that you need to know. There's the user research part. It's a lot of different complementary skills from different backgrounds and different parts of the brain, frankly. Oh, and then lastly, being able to influence and make relationships with the sales team and coordinate with other product managers, negotiate for resources. It's a pretty important role. So it sounds to me a bit like a startup with two co-founders and you're the co-founder who's not the engineer. That's a good way to put it. I see there are some well-known product management training gurus who say that there must be a clear separation between product and engineering, and they must be in two separate teams. I, I think it's this old idea that product managers are responsible for research and business cases, and then they get something up and then it gets sent off to somebody else to do, and then they do the marketing for it. I just think that is so old fashioned and so problematic. In order to do that, you'd have to get your product perfectly right up front. So you could give it to the engineering team to build it. And I think one thing we know is that is not possible. We know from the whole lean startup movement that a large number of the things we think about products and what people want are actually wrong. They're all just assumptions. Most of your requirements are really just hypotheses about what people want. So it's absolutely critical to do the smallest thing you can to get feedback from real customers and users. Even today in agile teams, this idea of hypothesis testing is still really uncommon. That separation between the product manager and the team is still really common. Really successful teams that can produce products that customers love and can grab traction and scale have the whole feasible, viable, desirable overlapping circles. Engineering, UX, and product are all responsible for spearheading decisions in each of those three circles. 
but they all overlap at the edges. Each one of those roles knows enough about the adjacent role. A good developer understands enough about product management and enough about design to really be able to be collaborative with their partner functions on some of those decisions. I'm a big fan of having designers and engineers pair, working together in real time, tweaking the UI and, and making changes because it's all about fast feedback, which leads back to your point, Marie, about hypotheses and how when you're building a new product, there's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot you don't know. And it, it is unrealistic and, and impossible for the product manager to have all the right answers in their head and then to just spoon feed, work on this story. Okay, work on this story. We really don't want to be working that. We really want to be working autonomously, collaboratively, talking things through, stopping work and going to the virtual whiteboard and changing our minds and, and taking in new data and information like, oh, we just deployed this feature and look like our numbers on the analytics dashboard are tanking. Let's roll that back and maybe we have to rethink what we're doing here. And so the successful teams are teams that are able to iterate quickly. So the iteration loop is equivalent to the, the speed of learning. The faster you can iterate, the faster you can learn. And the teams that can do that try to remove any bottleneck in the speed of iteration. And one of the bottlenecks is waiting for the product manager to tell us what the right answer is. That'll slow everything down. You don't want to be doing that. So putting two years worth of stories into JIRA is just dumb. Even worse is using that information to try and have a guess about when things will actually be finished and make them as promises is even dumber. But we do need somebody thinking holistically, especially if we're scaling, especially if we have multiple teams working together on a product that becomes a scaling issue. And therefore the role of a product leader to sit there and have a more holistic view is really important, but they're not writing every story that's ever going to be done for the next two years. And sometimes you see that happen. What do you think about product planning? So in agile, what are we talking about? We're talking about product roadmaps, product canvases product plans, what would you recommend? Well, I am a fan of canvases of various kinds. I was a big fan of the business model canvas when it came out and we've had lots of other useful canvases that have been developed over time. I agree that there's a inevitable tension between having a vision and thinking ahead. Agile isn't against planning. Here's the customer segment that we're interested in that we're passionate about and we want to solve problems for them. Maybe we don't know exactly what the solution is, but we have them in mind and we're going to iterate through a lot of different ideas until we're successfully serving that market. So keeping that long-term perspective is sometimes at odds with the idea of iterating. If you only rely on iteration, as your guide, you're just reacting to the data from the latest release. You're driving in a fog. You have a short horizon and you're just going to find the local maximum. You're going to spin all over the place and then you'll never get past that level. So there has to be a long-term vision for where we're trying to go. We're starting with a product, but maybe it needs to be a platform someday with multiple products on it or a suite, but that's going to be down the road. And so for now, we're just trying to get this one product. And then we're assuming that we'll be able to build some adjacent things that will also serve that market. So that long-term, short-term thinking and trying to keep those two things in your head at the same time is really important. What I like to say is out of all these 
thousands of features that you could have of your product. What is the one most important thing that we could test now? What is the thing that we think is maybe the core of it, the most important to the customer that we can just do a smaller version of it in a month? I just say, do they really want it? Yeah. It's just an idea in our head until they're not only using it, but probably paying for it. What is the customer actually willing to take out their wallet and part with their well-earned cash for the privilege of using our service? How can we actually validate that it's solving a problem? It has to solve a really existing painful problem for a sizable, reachable market that's worth building a business around. That takes a lot of baby steps of getting things in front of them and getting feedback. And probably has to do it a lot better than the existing solutions that are out there. It can't just be like 10% better. I've, I've heard Grayson Horowitz saying that it needs to be 10 times better at solving the problem because there's such a big barrier of people moving to something new. Definitely the switching costs. There's an interesting framework that we sometimes use in workshops when we're helping teams think about getting started with their product around the pull and push forces for both the old thing and then your ideas for your new thing. Really helping them think through what would make a customer want to move away, what are the irritations, why they'd want a new solution anyway, and what are the attractive aspects of your idea and what are some of the hindrances of them adopting it. So model all that out with sticky notes or whatever. It helps people really think through what's going to be the biggest risk that might block adoption. But to do that, wouldn't you have to really understand your customers well, and maybe even talk to them, maybe even invite them into the room to do this exercise with you? Ideally. So all of those things might be an assumption and then we might go find out, or maybe we do that exercise after we've done some initial research. So we're basing it on conversations we've, but yes, your point is very well taken. So you're just disappointing me now. I always thought it was just a UX drawing a pretty picture and the product owner making the engineers coded and then overnight success. We tried that a bunch of times. Turns out that hasn't worked so well. So now we're trying something else. So the things I picked up from the chat. So I really like the conversation around product leaders, that idea of them being holistic. Even if you're small, you still need that long-term vision, that roadmap, that what are we working towards? I like the idea that the product owners are about immediate value and the product leader or product manager is about future value. I like the idea of people directing the work done versus people supporting the people doing the work. We've also had a, quite a good thing around when an organization was founded and how that changes its behavior, industrial era organizations versus digital. And the last one is we talk about factory thinking, and I think we need to differentiate it between understanding how the system works and where we can optimize it. So some lean stuff, because I often see now with agile practices, we often forget about the system and we think it's just a bunch of people doing shit and not that <laughs> the system to be optimized to make things better. So retrospectives is a great way of figuring out what we're going to change next, but often we don't. Murray, what about you? I found that I agreed with everything Sam said. Our experiences are very similar. There is a lot of leadership required and leaders determine the culture through what they reward and punish. If you're in a management position, you should try and be a, a servant leader. I'm interested in how to scale this model. If you had a bigger product that needed a hundred people to work on it, the teams would have product owners focusing on working with a team to get stuff done within the shorter term, but a product leader 
at the higher level because they need to be able to look at the big picture and maybe some bigger picture design and architecture working more closely with the product later. Does that sound right to you? Yeah, I think so. Just occurred to me that there's a time element that I think a lot of organizations miss, which is that transformation takes time. A lot of these behaviors are very deeply integrated because of the incentives. The, the incentive structures are very strong. And so we need to have a little bit of patience in how we approach changing the way we work, especially if we're putting this new model in place and we're going to try it and it's not going to work so great for a while. It'll be halting and fits and starts. And that's how this goes. That should just be expected. There's a kind of rushing to be agile that folks would probably do well to let go of that. And for us to really be successful, if we're really going to embrace empathy and autonomy and all that stuff, then we have to put our model together and everyone has to be involved in helping to, to figure out what's working and what's not. And that's retrospectives and the rest of it. And in order to do that, you need to, to slow down and take the time to work together to look at our process and look at, at what's working. In a lot of these organizations that I see where they're struggling, they're so under the gun to, to produce and produce as immediately. Let's install Agile and then get going because you've got quarterly earnings to hit or whatever it is. Like you would just really need the air cover from leadership to say, okay, if we're doing an Agile transformation, it's training a whole team or a whole league from one sport in a new sport. Like it's going to take them a while to learn the skills and the moves and the plays and get it right. Like you can't just snap your fingers and do that overnight. And a lot of experimentation as well. It really worries me, these companies coming in and installing SAFE or installing the Spotify model. Oh boy, don't get me started. Sam, it's been great talking to you. How can people interact with you or get your advice or learn from you? Yeah, there's two main ways. I hang out a lot on LinkedIn. That's how we met. I'm very easy to find Sam McAfee. And I really encourage connection requests. People want to talk about the topics that we've been discussing. So please, if you're listening to this and you want to talk to me, don't be shy. And then our work and our materials and my blog, where I do a lot of my writing is at startuppatterns.com. It's kind of our home base. So either of those two places. Excellent. Nice to chat to you and hopefully we'll catch you later. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks, Sam. That was the No Nonsense Agile podcast from Murray Robinson and Shane Gibson. If you'd like help with Agile, contact Murray at evolve.co. That's evolve with a zero. Thanks for listening. 